Doctor, based on your, your years of experience, uh, your training, your education, the thousands of autopsies that you have both personally performed and the thousands more that you have reviewed and supervised, all of the medical information, the autopsy reports, the photographs, the toxicology reports, the videos, uh, you determine the cause of death to Laquan McDonald? Yes. What is it? The cause of death is multiple gunshot wounds. Doctor, what was the manner of death to Laquan McDonald? The manner of death is homicide. From WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune, this is 16 Shots, the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. I'm Jen White. The prosecution continued their case today in the murder trial of Jason Van Dyke. Today's testimony was largely focused on a meticulous walk through the autopsy of Laquan McDonald. It also focused on his medical condition at the scene of the shooting and at the hospital. Chicago Tribune reporter Stacy St. Clair was at the courthouse. Stacy, testimony from the first two witnesses today spent a lot of time on when Laquan McDonald died. Defense was pushing that McDonald was dead on the street. When he came into the hospital, he had no pulse, correct? Correct. He had no heartbeat, correct? Correct. So he was dead when he came to the hospital, right? Correct. So can you tell us why this question of whether he was still alive or at least not dead when he got to the hospital, why this was important? That argument sort of captures two things for the defense. The, the first is... It addresses the idea that Laquan McDonald's injuries were so grave and so serious that he was already dead on the scene. And therefore, when you see the video and you don't see any Chicago police officers do anything to help him, there's nothing they could have done. That's one of the ideas they want to plant with the jury because it doesn't look very good. It looks like they're indifferent to the, to the death of this boy. And as we saw yesterday from the Cook County Sheriff's officer, he was the only one at the scene who stopped, you know, looked at Laquan, bent over him and told him to hang on, that he could hear the ambulances coming and help was on the way. You know, police officers have told us previously that, you know, they're not supposed to give aid, it seems like that, because they could make it worse, they could aggravate the injuries further. But still, that, that is a rough thing for the jury to see and, and sort of make sense of. The second thing the argument does is that the defense is clearly setting up an argument as to which shots were the lethal shots in this case. And they spent a lot of the day sort of saying um, that the first two shots to Laquan McDonald were one to his chest and one to his throat. And they both occurred while he was standing. And both those shots caused such grievous injury that he couldn't have survived, and he died almost immediately from those shots. The fact is that the defense has been disputing that there were 16 entrance wounds. Can you explain that? The prosecution has to prove that there were 16 shots because he's charged with 16 counts of aggravated battery. They're trying to confuse the jury and muddy things up a little bit, and that's what all good defense teams do uh, in murder trials. While he went through the wounds with forensic pathologist Dr. Pony Arun Kumar, McMahon put up photos from the autopsy showing each wound on Laquan McDonald's body. Doctor, let's talk about uh, gunshot wound number one. Okay. Uh, where is it located? Um, the gunshot wound number one was on the head or the scalp on the left side. It was a gunshot grape wound. It was one and a half inches beneath the top of the head. 
Joe McMahon did spend about 90 minutes going bullet by bullet through Laquan McDonald's wounds. And it, you know, that is meant to, to show the jury uh, how serious and how um, horrific uh, the shooting really was. And for, for most jurors, they'll tell you that the worst part of their jury duty in a murder trial is the day they see the autopsy photos. Um, because it's really something they, they've never seen before. Uh, CSI or NCIS like really doesn't prepare you for sort of the brutality of those photos. And there were 24 uh, wounds, and exit and entrance wounds on Laquan McDonald's body, and, and they saw every single one of them, sometimes you know more than once. And they saw x-rays of bullets that were lodged inside Laquan McDonald's body. And that that is a very powerful day for any prosecution uh, in a murder trial, and I think it was a powerful day for the prosecution in this one. What were your takeaways from defense attorney Dan Herbert's questioning of Dr. Arun Kumar? Right now, it's it's sort of more your, your typical um, murder defense in that you, you raise questions about every prosecution uh, witness's um, accuracy and, and whether you know, they have the story right. But really, you know, their defense strategy is going to be to convince the jury that Jason Van Dyke had a reasonable fear for his safety or the safety of the public when he shot Laquan McDonald. And prosecution witnesses that were called today just didn't offer the opportunity for them to hammer that message home to the jury. I want to briefly touch on something that came up yesterday. We heard from another Chicago police officer. His name is David Ivankovich. He had a taser and was headed to the scene when he heard the call over the radio. Why was his testimony important? Officer McElligot testified on Monday that he uh, followed Laquan McDonald um, on foot for, for several minutes and had radioed for a taser unit to come help him uh, apprehend Laquan McDonald. And he said that McDonald made no aggressive moves and he followed behind him with his gun draw, drawn but never felt the need to um, to fire it because he never felt that he was in danger. And he said I, he was just buying time until the taser unit could get there. And so while they were waiting for the taser to come, that is when uh, Jason Van Dyke and his partner Joseph Walsh showed up and uh, Jason Van Dyke soon began shooting. So Van Dyke fires the first shot at um, 9.57.35, according to the, the video as it's been played in court. And then the taser officer, when he testified yesterday, um, he sort of narrated a video of himself arriving. And that video shows that he arrived at 9.58 and 17 seconds. So less than 50 seconds after Laquan McDonald was shot. So when you think about the scope of the testimony today, what's the big takeaway for you? After sort of a rough day yesterday for the prosecution, they basically reminded the jury, hey, the reason why we're here is because the defendant put, you know, 16 bullets into a 17-year-old Chicago uh, man, and here are the 16 bullets and the 24 bullet holes that that, that shooting created. Stacy, thank you. Thank you. Judge Vincent Gone got angry at a court clerk office because it was taking too long for motions to be delivered to his courtroom after they'd been filed. He called the desk clerk. She stamps and files incoming documents. He called her before the bench to answer for the delays. You understand that this is a, a, you know, a high-profile case, right? You're obstructing justice. Next time, there's going to be consequences, right? You understand that?
Well, since the charges were first brought against Officer Van Dyke in 2015 and the case landed with Judge Gone, he's threatened people dozens of times. He's jailed spectators for everything from snapping fingers to laughing. He's threatened journalists with contempt, including on several occasions, WBEZ's Chip Mitchell. Now, Chip, many attorneys who practice before Judge Gone praise his knowledge of the law and his preparation. Some of those same attorneys quietly describe him as ornery, even a bully. And nobody's felt the weight of Gone's temperament quite like Officer Van Dyke's lead attorney, Dan Herbert. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right, Jen. There were dozens and dozens of pretrial hearings, and Judge Gone barked at Herbert at nearly everyone. It, it could have been about Herbert's interpretation of a law or his team's readiness or this habit Herbert has of arguing just a few beats longer than what the judge will put up with. And if you keep talking, I'm going to take this as disrespect to this court, all right? And you understand there's consequences about that? I'm not going to allow you to keep talking after I make a ruling, all right? Mr. You, you, you make a record and you better be careful about your remarks right now, all right? You're getting on the edge. All right? Look at this stuff before you come in here. No, all right? For God's sake, listen, please, Mr. Herbert, I pay attention to you. What's the matter with you? How come you didn't give him a copy? You can't file it here because it would be a violation of the Supreme Court order. All right? Give him a copy. Listen to me, please, all right? All right. You want to sit down? Well, I'm going to tell you where you can sit down. If you don't sit down right sit down right now. All right? What's the matter with you? Okay, fine. Sit down, then. All right. So thank you. Sit down. Your record. Sit down. Sit down right now, all right? Once Judge Gone even sent a sheriff's deputy to stand next to Herbert as a threat in case he spoke out of turn. Okay, so it seems like Judge Gone has been tough with Herbert, but the way this judge runs his case also has admirers. Yeah, one of them is Darren O'Brien. He was the lead prosecutor in Gone's courtroom for more than a year. Lately, he's appeared before Gone as a defense attorney. In the criminal case world, there are hardworking lawyers and lazy lawyers and competent lawyers and incompetent lawyers. And so I think that he, he keeps control of his courtroom. And so he's, I think he sees through the, any nonsense that might be presented in a particular case. And if he's, if he's got a lawyer that, you know, not working hard or not prepared or something, I think he'll call him on it. Well, Chip, in the Van Dyke case, is Judge Gone just reacting to what he sees as, as nonsense from the officer's attorney? Well, I've been watching these two together at hearings for almost three years now. I think it would be wrong to blame all these sparks on the judge. This is Herbert's first murder trial as a defense attorney, and some of his motions seem to be coming out of left field. The prosecutors have accused him of delay tactics. And one time, Jen, Herbert told a joke that didn't work at all. It was a point where Judge Gone was standing up and reaching for some document behind his bench, his back is turned, and he hears Herbert start to make a big argument. Well, wait a minute. Come on, right. Dan. This ain't my best side, right? <laughs> Some might disagree. <clears throat> Sit down right now, all right? And let me tell you one more time. A little more effort like that might cost you something there, Mr. Herbert. You understand me? Yeah. Do you? Yes, so, Chip, you, you actually hear someone in the courtroom gasp when Herbert makes that crack about the judge. Yeah, uh, Herbert told me the other day he was just trying to make a good-humored joke, and it came off wrong. Okay, well, what does Herbert say about his general relationship with Judge Gone? Well, I spoke with Herbert in his office before the trial got started. Officer Van Dyke was doing something in another room, and 
Herbert insists he takes everything with Judge Gaughan at stride. I grew up playing sports. I had a lot of coaches that reminded me of Judge Gaughan, yelled, screamed. Um, it doesn't affect me whatsoever. Uh, Judge Gaughan, you guys see the rough side of him. For the, for the most part, Judge Gaughan has treated me with respect. Um, I respect him. Yeah, has he gotten angry that I've continued to fight points that I believe in? And I filed very unconventional motions. Yeah, maybe that did upset him. But at the end of the day, this is an unconventional case. And I raised every motion, and they were well-pled, and they were based upon good, sound legal argument. And I was not going to be intimidated by anybody to the extent that it would cause me to uh, not represent my client the way I, the way he deserves. Jen, this language from Herbert about not letting the judge intimidate him, uh, it had me thinking we could have some explosive situations in this murder trial, like if the judge saw some lawyering by Herbert he didn't like. But so far in the trial, we've had three days of testimony so far. We haven't really seen Judge Gone lash out yet. Yeah, but this trial is just getting going. The prosecutors have more witnesses to put on, and then it will be the defense's turn to present evidence. And, Jen, if there's going to be a big flare-up, that might be the most likely stage for it to happen. And any judge has to be really careful in front of a jury. If gone were to come off as favoring the prosecutors, it could be fodder for an appeal of any conviction. Okay, Chip, thanks. Thank you, Jen. There was another thing that happened today that's big news in Chicago. John Burge died. We've mentioned him before in this podcast. He's the former Chicago police commander who tortured confessions out of more than 100 men, most of them African-American. Decades of police abuse under Burge cast a long shadow over police community relations in Chicago. And we wanted to get some perspective on the Burge era and what the city is dealing with right now, the shooting of Laquan McDonald. So we called Standish Willis. Willis is an attorney and a founder of the group Black People Against Police Torture. The group successfully lobbied for a state law that created a commission that reviews torture claims and then forwards those claims on for judicial review. Mr. Willis, how do you think Burge changed the city? In the in African-American community, police didn't have a great reputation before we learned about John Burge. But when we learned about John Burge and, and, and you know, and learned that there were other police that worked with him and was under his command. Nobody did anything. Nobody came forward. Uh, it really made it uh, even worse for, for the police community and the black community. Uh, if you're going to come in our community and you're torturing our kids, these were kids, mostly teenagers, that were tortured, because I represent one. He was 18, and he's still in prison. And I've been in touch with a lot of the families and when you think about these mothers and the fathers uh, having a child that was tortured, who's still in prison, and we're still trying to get many of them out of prison. So for the last few years, the city of Chicago has been dealing with police violence that was put on display in the shooting of Laquan McDonald. John Burgess' actions put similar problems on display decades ago. What do you make of the fact that the city is still trying to reckon with these problems over such a long period of time? Uh, Many people now, especially our young people, are involved in trying to get justice in in Chicago, not just with torture victims, but with with police. That hasn't always been true. Uh, There were, you know, always a few people trying to get justice by filing lawsuits, 
But now you got youth, some of them are college students, they're activists, and they're trying to uh, create a community where police are respected and police that commit crimes go to prison. And I, you know, my hat off to them. But people in the community really do want to get involved because they really do want to have a community where they can trust police because, you know, police, many of them out there, you know, trying to be trusted and trying to do the right thing. That's Standish Willis. He's an attorney and founder of the group Black People Against Police Torture. Mr. Willis, thanks for speaking with us. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Sixteen Shots is a production of WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune. You can find out more about the case at wbez.org slash 16shots. Check this podcast feed regularly for updates from the trial of Officer Jason Van Dyke. And listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now, more than ever, facts matter. That's why the journalists at the Chicago Tribune are committed to quality journalism, relentlessly pursuing the truth and providing you with the stories that impact your community as well as your daily life. Get fact-based journalism and support the future of investigative reporting like 16 Shots by subscribing to the Chicago Tribune today. Visit chicagotribune.com slash 16 Shots for a special subscription offer just for listeners of this podcast.